Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations which you came. I will, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall, sorry, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will summon Sorry, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase increase the fields abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for all your iniquities and abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Um, That's to welcome everyone. Um, Before we get get into God's word, um, at a church we are a big family. Um, And one of the big things that's happening if you were here at our 25th birthday um, is our chapter 3. So I'm going to call up the big boss um, before we get into... God's Word, just to take us through some of the plans that are going forward uh, and some of the things that are happening that are exciting uh, here at Christchurch Midland. So please take up those green leaflets and our rector will come, uh, just tell us a bit about chapter 3.5 and how you can uh, get involved with that. I think it sounds wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. I'll talk to my people. I will <laughs> do the wire. Um, thank you so much to God for uh, his commitment to growing the kingdom and to Martin's leadership uh, here at Christchurch Midland. We're now going to a time of God's word, uh, so please uh, let me lead us in a time of prayer as we get into the Bible. Father, thank you so much for um, your kingdom that throughout history you are gathering a people to yourself, um, that right here in Midland we can see a taste of that even as we meet this evening. I thank you that you gather people, not so that they can just be gathered, uh, but that they would be transformed and that they would transform our world. So I do pray, Father, that you'd raise up men and women who are keen to get involved in kingdom work uh, and to be, a, to be salt and light and to be a transformation in our society. Um, but we cannot do that unless our hearts are transformed. And so this evening we pray, uh, as we look at your word, uh, that you would help us and that you transform our hearts and give us life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So if you haven't uh, been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series that is uh, titled Anatomy of the Heart. Um, They say you must never start with an apology. There are no... uh, Oh, there are slides. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, Somebody's doing their job. Um, So we do... 
Uh, we've been looking at this uh, topic called anatomy of the heart, uh, which is uh, basically focused on human behavior and why we do the things um, that we do. Uh, so it's been an exciting series. If you haven't uh, been here with us, I'd encourage you go onto our website, listen in on our uh, uh, on those talks because I, I I do believe that they, you'd find them uh, quite encouraging. But here's one thing that we said. We said that um, the word anatomy just means to simply break things up in pieces and study it. We've been breaking up the heart, the human heart, into pieces, and we've been studying it. And by human heart, we obviously referring to um, our emotions, our will, um, our personalities, uh, and that's what we've been looking at. And, and for week one, we saw that behavior is something that flows from the inside out. Uh, so you and I, the things that we do flow from our hearts. Uh, so whatever controls our hearts controls the things that we do uh, and sets the direction and the pattern of our lives. So that's what we saw in week one. Week two, which was last week, uh, we saw that our hearts, uh, at the core of who we are, is that we are worshippers. Uh, so worship is not something that is confined to two hours or six hours on a Sunday morning, depending on which church you go to. Um, but they worship in, encapsulates, here's that word again, uh, all of uh, what you do. So, um, so that is what worship is. Worship is who we are and what we do. Uh, and so we found that as you read throughout the Bible, you see uh, that God has called us to worship him. But because of human sin that is working in our lives, we are often drawn towards worshiping every other thing except God. And we saw that when you and I worship any other thing except, uh, from, uh, except God, um, that thing will eat us alive. Uh, so whether it's money, whether it's relationships, anything that we worship that is not God will eat us alive. And that is what the Bible promises us. And that's what we see throughout uh, Old Testament history, that as God's people tend to idolatry, their situation goes from bad to worse. And so Jesus would say, the Bible would say that you and I need transformation. We need a radical surgery of heart, a radical transformation. And the Bible uses a term that is called circumcision um, to describe this transformation. Um, the Deuteronomy says to us, God tells his people, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and not, be no longer stubborn. So that is what God calls his people to, uh, to circumcise their hearts. And now for those of us who don't know what in the world um, that means, am I talking about men's clinic? I'm not uh, referring to that. Uh, somebody in our Sunday school was teaching kids, and they were asking, ma'am, what is circumcision? And she gave an illustration that a, a small boy uh, in the Hebrew culture, when they are eight years of age, imagine a bottlenecked um, jersey, and then imagine cutting it into a normal jersey. That is what it is. But it is deeper than that. Circumcision in Hebrew culture uh, was a way of saying that we submit ourselves uh, to the authority of God. We submit ourselves to the covenant of God. So it was a covenant sign. Now, that covenant sign was just that, a sign. You see, what a sign is, is something that points to something greater. Um, a sign that says Rustenberg is pointing, the sign in Joburg that says Rustenberg, obviously is not talking about the awesomeness that Rustenberg is. It is pointing you to something greater. Amen. Amen. 
<laughs> some of you are haters in this year. Um, in the same way, so circumcision was a way of um, God saying that you are my people and we submit ourselves to you. It's like a wedding ring as well. Um, there's much more to a marriage than a wedding ring, um, but a wedding ring represents the covenant that is marriage. Um, this afternoon I was at Zbu's wedding um, and they were exchanging vows. And such a beautiful thing to see uh, when uh, they say in our prayer book, um, this, with this ring, I um, give myself in marriage to you. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I share with you. I'm those wonderful ways. And all that I have, um, I give to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Meaning that we swear uh, by something above ourselves. So we, sub- we uh, come in together in a covenant relationship. Agreeing that uh, we're going to give ourselves um, to each other. But this ring is just a... Symbol of that. Uh, my marriage is bigger than this ring. And so it is with um, this um, picture of circumcision. What God had actually intended was for this people's hearts um, to be circumcised. So a true Israelite was someone who said, I'm committing myself uh, to the covenant of God. I'm committed to my, committing myself to loving God with all that I have. That is what the, the covenant was about. It was a matter of uh, their hearts uh, being transformed. So to this evening, we just want to focus on that idea of a, of a heart transformation. But just as we get going here, um, I just want to say the last two weeks we've been focused in on ourselves, isn't it? Um, we've been looking at and cutting open the human heart, and that can be in your face. It's like somebody coming to your house and saying, man, I don't like the way you set up this place. I think you should change this and that. Uh, I took a uh, uh, property manager here, Uncle Fred, I really trust him with buildings. And I said, Uncle Fred, come over to my house and just see. I, I want to make some few changes because I think it doesn't look that great. Uh, Uncle Fred came and he just gave me the honest truth. Um, he's like, that furniture is chunky. That mirror is hideous. Uh, those tiles are hideous. You need to change this, uh, this thing. Um, and my heart was cut because he told me the honest truth. Um, but for him to just leave it at that uh, is not is not the f- uh, the full picture, isn't it? Uh, I still need to go a uh, step further and transform the house. Uh, so it is with um, the last two weeks we've been looking at uh, the things that plague us, uh, the areas of weaknesses, and sometimes it can be uh, as uh, the English call it naval gazing, looking at your tummy and say, "Man, I'm so bad. I'm so terrible." Um, but that is not the ultimate uh, full picture of the gospel message. And so tonight we want to look at uh, what God is doing. Because if you and I do not understand what God has done for us, who God is and what he has done for us, we can never truly change. We'll be convicted and say, man, that was moving. I think I'm struggling with that sin, uh, but never have the power to be transformed. The gospel uh, gives us the power um, to be transformed. Um, a, an old Scottish preacher by the name of uh, Thomas Chamler. Uh, he preached a powerful sermon in the 1800s uh, that is called The Expulsive Power of the New Affection. Um, and in it, he says uh, that it is not enough to hold out to the world's eye the mirror of its own imperfection. It is not enough to come forth with a demonstration, however pathetic, of the momentary character of its enjoyment. 
It is not enough to travel the walk of experience along with you and speak to you, uh, to your conscience and your mind, of the deceitfulness of the heart and the deceitfulness of all that the heart is set upon. So it's not enough for me to just say, man, our hearts are bad. There's got to be something more than that. And this is what he says in his sermon. He says that the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection, an old love, and an old worship is to replace it. Um, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. So you need something much more powerful uh, than a conviction, being convicted by sin. You need a God to be working in you, to be transforming you. Because unless you understand who God is and what he's done, you will never in of yourself transform your weaknesses. No matter how much I point to you, the mirror of your imperfection, my imperfection, we can never truly transform. So this evening, we're going to see who God is. Who is God? Who is this God? What has he done? Uh, and how does that transform us? So who is God? What has he done? And how does that transform us? Um, number one, who is God? I wonder if you were to go into the streets of Midland um, or Pretoria, wherever you, you stay, if you were to walk up to a guy at Pick and Pay and say, what do you think of God? I wonder what they, uh, what they think, what, what, they, what answer would they, they would give. I think some people would be positive. They will say, man, God is awesome. God is um, that guy who never judges you for anything uh, that you, you do. But some people will be negative. Uh, some people like um, Charles Dawkins, he says that the God of the Old Testament in particular is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. So he thinks that he's uh, a fictionary character, uh, that he's an unpleasant character. He says, I'm jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infantile, yo, that's a powerful word, genocidal. <laughs> Even if you went to a private school, I don't understand what some of those, um, those words mean. Um, but he says he's basically uh, a very impulsive, uh, malicious bully. Uh, so that is who... God is, according to uh, this, this atheist guy. He's out here to spoil our fun. He's a moral police who's looking at whoever is having fun and just uh, squashing the fun that they have. Wouldn't you say that th that's how some people view God? Uh, some people who are religious would say, God is my motivation, hashtag motivation Monday. Uh, if I have God, I can make it through uh, this tough life. And I think there's nothing wrong with finding purpose and encouragement uh, in God. But if that's all you think of God, that is a limited picture of who God is. Uh, some people think of him as the one who blesses, the one who's there to make my life go smooth. Uh, that is who God is. Uh, if you just give your 10% uh, to the church, this God will bless you abundantly. You shall never have anything wrong. Promotion shall come your way. Promotion doesn't come from the east nor from the west. It comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just bless the men of God with a Mac or a private jet, and the Lord will see you through. And that is the brand of Christianity, isn't it? Nowadays, that is who uh, God is. Um, on Metro FM, if you listen in, if you listen carefully, it is just a motivation with a sprinkle of God. That is the idea 
of, um, of who God is. But if you look at these verses in Ezekiel chapter 36, you'll see um, a much more bigger picture of who God is. Come with me um, to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're looking at verses 22 and 23, then verse 20, uh, 32. Uh, so the first verses, uh, verse 22 and 23, and then the last verse that was read for us, uh, verse 32. Because in Ezekiel, we get a picture uh, of a much more weightier God, uh, a God who is more powerful than you and I can imagine. Have a look at verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, uh, thus says the Lord, uh, the Lord God, the Lord there means Yahweh God. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have put pro- profaned among the nations to which you came. Verse 23, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have pro- prof- profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Uh, you see, God looks at this nation that has been rebellious, uh, that has on and on rebelled against his covenant, um, and he judges them. So that's what we see in the first part of Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, says to this, um, this Israelites that God is going to judge you. And they're like, man, you're just a pessimistic guy, aren't you? He's just pessimistic. And then it happens that God judges them. He removes them and uproots them from their land, Israel, and he places them in exile in Babylon. And away from home, away from the temple, they cannot worship him uh, in their place. Um, they mingle with other nations. Uh, so that's what we see uh, in, uh, in the first part of Ezekiel. In the later part of Ezekiel, uh, we see him being pronouncing a hope for Israel. That one day God is going to restore you. And these guys are saying, man, you're just too optimistic. In fact, if you read Ezekiel chapter 37, it is the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel goes to, he sees a vision of this, uh, uh, this area that is covered with bones. And they are white, which means they were very dry. Uh, they had been sitting there for quite some time. And he says that that's the picture of Israel. It is lifeless. Uh, it is helpless. It is hopeless. There is no hope for them. Uh, but God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones, and these bones came back to life. And God says that, that that's a picture of what he's about to do. He's about to give life to Israel. Uh, and obviously these people think that, man, this is uh, too optimistic. Uh, but God would remind them that the reason he's doing this it's not that they're good. It is not that they were um, lovable. But notice what he says in those few verses. Uh, let's read again verse 32. And I want you to notice the similarities there. Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded in your ways. It is not for your sake. But verse 22 and 23, God says, I'm going to act for the sake of my name. I'm going to make you holy for the sake of my name. So the God of the Bible is a holy uh, and righteous God, um, as we read. A God who is concerned about his reputation. A God who is about God. God is about himself, and that is for our good. When God is about himself, that is for our good. When God is concerned about his glory and not your glory and my glory, that is for our good. 
Uh, and so that is the God that we see here in, uh, in the Bible. He is a God uh, who um, is not a blesser God. Uh, he's not out here for your purpose. He's out here for his purpose. And that is a good thing for us. When he gives Israel a law, that is good for them. Um, but because of their sinful hearts, um, they do not obey it. God is about God. God is about his reputation. And that is for our good. In the Ten Commandments, it says to, he says to the Israelites that you shall not take up the Lord's name in vain. In other words, you shall not carry the name uh, God's people in vain. In other words, as nations look at Israelites, they should be seeing the weight and the glory of a holy God. They ought to be living holy lives. That is the God that we read about um, in, the, in the Old Testament. A friend of mine tells me um, this concept of um, a name and a reputation. Um, he's in the business world, and he deals with a lot of clients, um, some of whom, uh, so he, he runs a printing company. They supply um, printing equipment to different uh, people. And he says that the new school, the, the new guys, normally what they would do is that they would negotiate with you um, and say, please uh, deliver X amount of goods to me. Then they pay their deposit. But when it comes time for them to pay the rest of the money, they just um, disappear of the scene. Uh, so that's one group of guys. But he says that there's another group of guys, the old school guys. Uh, those guys are so concerned about their reputation that their word is enough. Uh, so if he takes a million rand worth of goods from you and shakes on it, he's going to deliver. You don't have to chase him around. That's how concerned they are about their name and their business and their reputation. Uh, and they will do nothing to taint that reputation because that's what they trade on. Uh, and I think in a bigger sense, that is what God is about. If he says he's going to do something, uh, he's going to pull through um, on that. If he says he's a holy God, that he, then he demands nothing uh, below the standard of holiness. So this God is not an angry 12-year-old, um, a, a bully. No, he's a good God um, who seeks his glory for our good. But what has this God done? And I think in our passage, if you had to count the number of times uh, where God says, I will, I will, I will, I think I counted about 14 times. Uh, you can go home and um, investigate there. He says, I will, I will, I will. You see, this passage is not about what we are going to do, but it is about what God is about to do. Now, what has he, what was he about to do? What was he promising uh, his people? Have a look at verse 24, he's promising them a new identity. Verse 24, he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Remember, they're in exile, they're in a foreign land, and God says, I'm going to bring you back um, to this land. I'm going to make you a people again. I'm going to gather you from all the places where you've been scattered, and we're going to establish um, another uh, identity, another nation uh, wherever you've been scattered. Verse 28 says, You shall dwell in the land that I, I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. Notice again this uh, language that keeps coming. I will, I will. I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make uh, the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, 
that you may never again suffer disgrace or famine among the nations. God is promising this people, uh, his people, that he's going to gather them and make them into a great nation again. So it gives them a new sense of identity that we are again God's people, not forsaken anymore, uh, but belonging um, to God. So that's the thing he does. Uh, the other thing he does is that he creates a clean man. He creates a clean man. Have a look at verse 25. This language of uh, temple cleansing uh, and blood uh, rituals. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So God uses this picture of cleansing, this picture that was uh, set up in the temple. Uh, as the priests went in to minister in the temple, they had to wash themselves outside the temple. Uh, and this picture was to remind them that sinful people cannot approach a holy God or have a relationship with the holy God without proper cleansing. Another picture there is the picture of sprinkling the blood on all the utensils in the temple. It's a very gory idea. It's a very bloody idea, but it is a picture to the Israelites, again, that they cannot enter the temple and have a relationship with God unless blood is shed, unless somebody's life is paid for, unless something gives up its life, uh, people cannot have um, a relationship with this holy God. He demands life. He demands punishment uh, because of their sins. Uh, and, 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 and Ezekiel connects this idea uh, to uh, God cleansing them from their idols. And their idols are the very thing that landed them in exile, and God promises um, to cleanse them. Uh, so this is the second thing he does. He creates a clean and a new man. Uh, the other thing that he does is that he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. Have a look at verse 26 there with me. And I will give you, again, this idea, I will, I will. Let's stop navel-gazing. Let's stop looking at our own sins and saying, war with me. But let us look at what God has done. Verse 26, and I will put, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Isn't that an amazing uh, idea as you look at your own life and some of the things that you desire uh, throughout the last uh, two weeks, looking at um, some of the things that you struggle with, um, God says that, that that's like a heart of stone, uh, a heart that is unresponsive um, to obey God. What is he going to do? He's going to remove that and give you a new heart. That is what he promises his people. That is what he promises you and I. Uh, we used to sing the song, uh, as young kids, um, Jesus is amazing. He took the heart of stone. He gave us um, a heart of grace, a heart that is respond, responsive um, to him. If you have been wondering for the last two weeks, um, what, how in the world am I going to obey? How in the world am I going to stop worshiping things that God has told me not to? This is the answer here. God says, I will. He's the God who does. He's the God who steps towards us, even uh, in our brokenness. And this is not a new thing that Ezekiel is cooking up. In fact, if you read the entire Deuteronomy, 
God gives them a law and he knows that they are going to disobey it. And so in chapter 30 verse 6, in chapter 10 he said to them, circumcise your hearts. In chapter 30 verse 6, this is what he says, and the Lord, Yahweh your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And if you are a Christian this evening, this is you. God has transformed your heart. God has cut in deep. He's shown you what's in there, the dead and the filth that is in there. And he's given you a new heart. And maybe you, I don't know about you, but sometimes in life you read this stuff and you're like, wow, like I wish God can give me a new heart. I wish he can transform my heart. Because my current situation is that there's things I'm struggling with where I just feel like I'm not a believer. Have you ever felt like that? But if you are a Christian, God reminds us that this is what he's done in your life. I mean, just if you look at your life uh, uh, five years ago, perhaps you gave your life to Jesus five years ago, you're not the same person that you used to be, isn't it? Amen. Think of a Sunday night. Where would you be now? You'd be watching the pre, uh, uh, what is it, the build-up to the Liverpool match where Liverpool is going to thrash again they are haters but you are here at church you are worshipping Jesus Uh, you are listening to his words think about your mouth and what sort of fillers you used to use you know fillers fillers is like um, um, but sometimes we use bombs uh, uh, as fillers amen um, you in the office space, uh, and that's just your mouth. That just comes naturally to, see, uh, to you, just to say an F-bomb, left, right, and center. That's what you used to do. Think about your money, um, your house, your possession, how you used to think about them before you became a Christian and the transformation that God is doing in your life. That is exactly this promise being fulfilled in you, that you desire things that you never desired before. And yes, you struggle against sin, but God has transformed you. God has made you something different. And the gospel calls you to live as you are, to live as the person God has made you to be. And unless you and I realize who he is and what he has made us to be, we will never be transformed. Which brings us to... Our third and last point, how then does this transformation happen? How does it happen? Verse 31, Ezekiel, we're still there. Verse 31, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe them yourselves for all your iniquities and your abomination. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded of your ways, O house of Israel. You see, God acts and he transforms us by his grace. And when that grace transforms us, we will begin to hate and abhor the things that he hates. Um, As Eleanor prayed, God, help us to hate the things that you hate. It takes a miracle for that to happen in our lives. just want to... Take us to Romans, because Paul picks up this theme in Romans. Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, Paul picks up this idea of obedience, of God transforming our lives, of the grace of God being poured out on us. 
Romans chapter 2. Uh, just to give you an idea of uh, Romans, just a little bit. In chapter 1, Paul says that the wrath of God, the anger of God, is uh, revealed from heaven against all ungodless, uh, ungodly, godlessness uh, because men, instead of worshipping the Creator, they've turned uh, to worship created things. Uh, so God's wrath is revealed uh, from heaven. So it's a gloomy uh, picture, um, and it's against all humanity, and so chapter 2, he asked this question. Well, what about Jewish people who had the covenant? Um, and he would remind them that although they have the covenant uh, mark of circumcision, although they call themselves God's people, they've actually broken um, the law. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, he says that for circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So if a non-Jewish person obeys the Jewish law, uh, that person becomes part of God's people. Uh, for no, no one is a Jew who is merely one outward, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. God's people are those who have been transformed on the inward. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter that is the law. Uh, his praise is not from men, uh, but from God. So again, Paul gives us this picture. The true transformation comes from the heart. But then he goes on to chapter 3, verses 9 onwards, and he says, none of us have obeyed the law. No one is righteous, not even one. No Jew, no Gentile is righteous. All have uh, turned away. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse four, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So true transformation comes when we trust what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption. The redemption means buying back that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means turning away of that wrath that he speaks about in chapter 1 as a propitiation. Where am I? Verse Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his forbearance, he has passed over our former sins. You see, this holy God uh, who demands nothing but holiness um, recognizes that you and I can never reach his standard of holiness. So what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to our world, uh, who is perfect of heart, who is obedient to the law, every dot of it. Um, but Jesus dies a death on a cross, a death of a criminal. He hangs on the tree. And Deuteronomy tells us in the covenant stipulations that anyone who dies on a tree is cursed. In other words, God has turned their face against them. So Jesus, who is perfect, God turns his face away from him as he hangs on the tree so that you and I can be justified. So that when God looks at us, he sees holy and godly people. If we put our trust in him, that is the gospel. And that same gospel transforms us because we realize that in him we are accepted. Uh, so we might be struggling right now with sin, but in him we are accepted. Amen. 
Uh, you might be looking at that girl at the office and say, man, if I can just dot, dot, dot. But God has transformed you. He's made you into somebody different. He's written his law in your heart to abhor and hate the things uh, that uh, he hates, uh, to make you realize uh, that, is, that that is not good for you. That is what God is doing in you. You may be looking at your life and say, man, I'm 28 years old. I'm not getting any younger, and, and no guy is looking my way. What is wrong with me? Uh, and that might be pushing you to be tempted uh, to date that guy who's not a believer uh, at the office. That is the reality of living with a sinful heart. But God would remind you that in Jesus he's accepted you uh, such that you don't need any acceptance from a human being. He's given you everything that you need uh, and that you desire. And his acceptance far outweighs uh, the love of a boy. You might be adversity, you're young, and every guy is looking at you. Again, there's the same story to you, uh, that God has accepted you in Christ Jesus. May that become a truth that you tend to whenever you're tempted uh, to just fall for anybody. May that become the truth that transforms your life, that the grace of God was showered upon me. He loves me more than anybody can ever do, and I rest on that whenever I'm tempted. And even if you've fallen into sin, to remember that Jesus loves you more than anything. God has displayed his mercy that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He fulfilled the covenant that you and I could not fulfill, yet died the death that you and I deserved uh, so that we can be accepted by him. And unless we understand that, we will never be transformed. We will always want to try harder to please him uh, and end up failing. But in salvation, we realize and that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us so that we can step in in obedience and realize that he's made us a new people. He's given us new hearts. He's cleansed us of our old sins. That's the picture we see of what God has done. And that picture transforms us. And as we come to the Lord's table, that's what we remember. And that's what we're going to remember. And so if I can I just encourage you, as we've confessed our sins earlier, to just think about some of the things that you are struggling with and think of this picture of the Lord's table. Um, it is instituted at the Passover feast. It was a feast where they ate meat, uh, where they drank wine, uh, and Jesus uses it uh, during the meal. Um, he takes up the bread and says, uh, this bread is the picture of my body that's going to be broken for you. Uh, and he says that they must take it, eat it, uh, and feed on him by faith, become one with him by faith. And after supper, he takes the wine uh, and uh, he drinks it and says, this is the new covenant, the new relationship that I began uh, with my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of what, I, uh, what I've done. Do this as often as you remember me. So as often as we come to the Lord's table, we remember who God is and what he has done for us. And we feed on him by faith, uh, meaning we keep on trusting that his work on the cross is sufficient for us. And that you and I look forward to a place and a time where God is going to fulfill our deepest longing. Uh, when he comes back and he sets up his kingdom here, 
where he will rule perfectly over our hearts, where he will rule perfectly over our society, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more women abused, none of that stuff, uh, because God would have transformed their hearts. So we look forward to that even as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we look forward to a time where we will rejoice with him in a new covenant and a new relationship which he has begun by his blood. Amen.